Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. John Michael McGrath here. Uh, Because of the Labor Day long weekend, we had to record this episode on Friday. Uh, We will get to that episode in a moment, but we actually recorded it before the government announced that they were proroguing the legislature until October 4th. MPPs had been scheduled to return to Queen's Park on September 13th. That will now wait until October. A statement from government House leader Paul Calandra said the government made this choice because of the federal election, saying that postponing the return of MPPs until after the election makes sense given the uncertainty in federal politics right now and the potential for billion-dollar funding decisions to change depending on who forms government after September 20th. The opposition leaders have unanimously criticized the government for this move, with NDP leader Andrew Horvath saying, quote, It's bad enough that Doug Ford has gone into hiding for over a month. Now he is choosing to hide his entire government. Uh, Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca said in a statement, quote, Political cowardice will not get us through the fourth wave, and I'm deeply disappointed in Doug Ford's decision to abdicate his responsibility. And Green Party leader Mike Schreiner called the prorogation irresponsible, adding, right now Ontarians need leadership. Instead, they are stuck with a premier that is running from accountability and responsibility. Those are just some of the early reactions to this news. As you can imagine, Steve and I will have a lot more to say about all of this on next week's episode. Uh, For now, I will let you get back to this week's episode. Thanks so much. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. After weeks of saying there would be no vaccine passports, the Ontario government has done an about-face. We'll discuss how it'll all work and why small businesses are concerned. Plus, the truce is over. The ceasefire between Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau came to an end last week. We'll tell you why. And speaking of why, why did the science table quietly release new COVID-19 modeling with no news conference? It's Tuesday, September 7th, 2021, so let's get to it. JMM, for weeks, Premier Doug Ford and Health Minister Christine Elliott have been saying there will be no vaccine passports in Ontario. The Premier was quite forceful in his opposition to the idea, saying the receipt you get when you get your vaccine ought to be enough. But the Cabinet debated the matter over and over and thought better of it. As a result, on September 22nd, you will need to prove you have been vaccinated in order to enter non-essential businesses such as movie theatres, indoor dining, nightclubs, that sort of thing. Why the change of heart? The short version is that the government is uh, properly uh, worried about the climbing numbers of people in the province's intensive care beds and is hoping uh, both to encourage some, uh, let's call them fence sitters, to finally get their vaccinations and also to exclude the unvaccinated from higher risk settings. Uh, And hopefully those two in combination will reduce the need for critical care in our hospitals. Just a reminder to people, you know, this is still true from previous uh, lockdowns. It still only takes about 300 people with COVID in our ICU beds to start shutting down hospital services. And we are, uh, as we record this, we're already about halfway there uh, with many more uh, cases and seriously ill people than we had in September of last year. Uh Provinces to our west have shown how it is still possible for the Delta variant to spread rapidly, uh, even in a a heavily vaccinated population. So uh, the government is just 
try to turn the dial to a bit more safety, hopefully a bit more of a controlled spread. Uh, you have mentioned already that uh, as of September 22nd, people will need a proof of vaccination. Uh, that is just over two weeks from now. Uh, at that point, you are still only going to be able to get a, a paper receipt. Uh, you can download it off of the website or you might have had it emailed to you when you got your shot. Um, you can uh, also put those, uh, like the PDFs of those on your phone if you want. Uh, you will also need to show photo ID just to sort of match the vaccination record to the person uh, holding it. Uh, by late October, the government is hoping to have a, a smartphone app like the one we've already seen in Quebec, uh, which uh, hopefully will make things easier for both citizens and businesses. Now, whenever decisions like this are made, there are always anomalies that get pointed out. And let me see if I can put a few to you right now. Personal care settings and religious gatherings, both of which were shut down for months, of course, because they weren't considered essential. They are not included in the list of places that will require vaccines. How come? As far as uh, salons are concerned, uh, the chief medical officer, uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, told reporters that it's because they're pretty confident about the uh, infection control rules that uh, hairstylists and barbers and, and other uh, personal service uh, uh, professionals need to follow. Uh, as well as the fact that masks can be worn throughout uh, an entire salon appointment. Uh, as for places of worship, well, <laughs> this is one of those things that's complicated by the charter, right? Um, people have religious freedoms, and in some religions, it is against their uh, doctrines to get a vaccination. Uh, so implementing uh, an element of mandatory vaccinations so that they can gather in public uh, it gets really complicated, and I, <laughs> I am not privy to uh, cabinet decisions exactly, but uh, I can imagine that religious gatherings or applying these rules to religious gatherings uh, might have made the attorney general a bit nervous. What do you mean you're not privy to uh, cabinet deliberations? I thought you had sources everywhere, McGrath. What's going on here? <laughs> Steve, they're going to find my bugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving right along then. Uh, okay, shortly after the announcement, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business sent out a statement with some questions that they have, which included, how exactly is this going to be enforced? Who's responsible in the event of a fraud? You know, we're already seeing stories on the news about people who are figuring out how to make fraudulent uh, certificates and so on. Are the police going to arrest people if malfeasance is involved? Uh, these are all pretty good questions. How much responsibility will fall on the businesses themselves to enforce the vaccine passport rules? Well, it certainly looks like uh, businesses and maybe a um, general Canadian sense of deference to authority uh, are going to be our first line of defense here. Um, businesses will be responsible for enforcing the rules, at least at their doorsteps. Uh, if someone tries to uh, challenge those rules or, or, you know, starts screaming at uh, service staff, and, and I would just please beg our listeners, who I'm sure are all kind and well-meaning souls, not to do that, um, but yeah, the police could be called. Uh, the government says that at first they're going to be relying on bylaw enforcement officers. But, you know, these are going to be regulations under provincial law, the, specifically the, the Reopening Ontario Flexible Response Act. And breaking those rules still carries real penalties, including very large fines and potentially even jail time. Uh <laughs> Again, I, I don't think our listeners are like the foaming at the mouth, screaming anti-vax types for the most part, uh, because most Ontarians aren't. Uh, but this is really, really, really not the kind of thing that people should mess around with. Uh, the law can get involved and uh, it could be a very unpleasant day for people. Let me do one more uh, follow up question on this. And that is and this was brought out during uh, Premier Ford's news conference in which he introduced the vaccine passport idea. 
Apparently, you have to be vaccinated and you have to be able to prove that you've been vaccinated in order to go into a restaurant, but the person serving you doesn't have to. I know that question was asked of Kieran Moore, the Medical Officer of Health for Ontario, and I know he answered it, and I have to confess, I'm not any clearer about why that situation <laughs> is permitted, even after his answer. Can you help me out on this? So we're talking about, uh, I mean, it's it's all under the category of uh, wanting to see more people vaccinated, uh, but we are uh, talking about two different uh two different kinds of laws, I guess I would say. You know, one is uh, controlling the the general public in a public health emergency, which is what this still is. Um, the other is basically like employment law, right? Can somebody be fired for not getting vaccinated? That's fundamentally what we're asking. Um, the government has not wanted to push this that far. And I've spoken to public health experts who are really uneasy with the idea of uh, making vaccination, uh, a, a, you know, a hardline employment requirement that that could see a person lose their job. It's been economically difficult enough for so many during the pandemic. Adding this on top of that uh, does make a lot of people nervous. So, yeah, it. <laughs> it it's one of these things where I can understand the reason for the vaccine passport. And, and you know, I've, I've written at TVO that I strongly support uh, the, the vaccine passport. And I can sort I can understand the reasons for why um, people don't want to make this a condition of employment. Uh, but you put the two things together and you do end up with this mild absurdity of, you know, everybody at a, at a, a restaurant table could be vaccinated, but their server might not be. I got to tell you something. I think Dr. Kieran Moore, incidentally, has been a terrific communicator and has done a really strong job uh, at the public events in which he's required to answer questions. But that answer you just gave makes a heck of a lot more sense than anything I've heard so far. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Moving right along. It's gotten to brass knuckles politics time. There was an apparent truce between the Premier of Ontario and the Prime Minister of Canada during the election campaign. Premier Ford even going so far as to tell his ministers, Look, if you campaign for conservative candidates, don't put pictures up on social media about it. Keep your heads down. Well, that truce is now pretty clearly over. What happened, JMM? Well, uh, Premier Ford was asked about, uh, I guess we got here as he was asked about why the government had changed its mind on vaccine passports. And in the process of answering that question, uh, he also gave uh, this answer. And there's no secret that... Uh, you know, I wasn't in favor of this. Matter of fact, I stood there, uh, you know, a while back and saying I wasn't in favor of it. After sitting down with Dr. Moore, after finding out that the federal government just three weeks ago, it was just three weeks ago, said they weren't going to have a national passport. Uh, instead, they decided to go with an unnecessary election. Well, Justin Trudeau's name came up several times during the news conference, and it's probably the most we've heard the premier mention the Prime Minister, in many, many weeks. How did Team Trudeau respond to the allegations that the Premier was making? I mean, it's also the first we've heard from the Premier say anything in several weeks. He was kind of operating on radio silence there for a while. Uh, but you're correct. Um, you know, uh, the Prime Minister just, uh, you know, they let it slide. It's no biggie, right? <laughs> no, no, this is, uh, uh, this is politics. And uh, the Prime Minister uh, basically responded by saying that, uh, you know, he, I guess he was glad to see Ontario change its mind on vaccine passports, but that he thought that uh, the government of Ontario and the Premier had left it too late and had to be dragged kicking and screaming, that kind of thing. 
Hmm. Now, Premier Ford also had this to say during his news conference. For the past three months, along with Canada's other premiers, I've called on the federal government to develop a national vaccine passport. Now, that's the premier claiming that all the provinces have been asking for a national vaccine passport. Let's do a reality check here, okay? That is not true, is it? I mean, has there been any moment in my lifetime or yours, Steve, where all of the provinces were actually unanimous on something? (laughs) (laughs) Let me think about that for a second. Um, No. Right. So this is just not federal jurisdiction, right? The kind of vaccine document that we are talking about is the kind of thing that You know, it controls your actions under provincial public health rules. That is not Justin Trudeau's job. That is not the Parliament of Canada's job. It cannot be their job. What the federal government is working on is a document for international travel. Uh, And I think the premier's office was hoping that uh, that document would be ready sooner and that maybe they could avoid a hard choice, that Ontario businesses would simply be able to rely on the federal document uh, to control entry to their premises. But again, if you're going to make it a provincial rule, like you still have to have the province making that rule. You can't just let it leave it up to the feds and businesses. Um, for what it's worth, the federal liberals are, are flatly denying that the premier's ever asked for a vaccine passport for domestic purposes. Uh, here is liberal uh, Bill Blair, uh, who I guess is still the minister of public safety. Um, yes, he, he is. Uh, said, quote, uh, Premier Ford, Premier Kenny of Alberta and Aaron O'Toole have been the only ones opposing vaccine passports domestically. In fact, Premier Ford asked the federal government to stay out of domestic vaccine passports. Premier Ford has only ever asked for an international version for international travel. I'm going to do a little speculating here and suggest that probably the Premier of Ontario and the Minister of Finance, Christian Freeland, they're probably not each other's therapists anymore. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Fair to say? Uh, I think that's fair to say, unless uh, they find yelling at each other very therapeutic, which some people do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should also point out here that it actually, I mean, we're, we're pointing out what the premier said, and, and he really did come out guns a-blazing at that news conference. But it may actually have been Justin Trudeau who broke the truce first. Now, he was doing a news conference with reporters before this, when he mentioned Doug Ford by name, saying basically the Premier of Ontario has got to get with the program and bring in a vaccine certificate or a vaccine passport program. Now, maybe Trudeau brought a knife to a gunfight, but I think he took the first shot here. Yeah, I think this this truce was definitely fraying at the edges uh, before the Premier's press conference. And, um, you know, while we're talking about this, I think it's entirely fair to criticize the feds for the really slow pace of progress on a a federal vaccine document. Uh, I want to shout out reporter Justin Ling. He has really documented uh, how slow the progress is and uh, kind of how... um, there's no other word for it, but ridiculous the, the system uh, is. And uh, frankly, how unlikely the feds are going to uh, be able to produce a, a usable app. Uh, even by October, uh, it might be Christmas or New Year's, depending on how fast the progress is. Uh, and all of that is, I think, entirely fair game to criticize the feds for. Uh, but Part of the reason it is so hard for the feds is because the provinces own the vaccine data. And at least in the case of Ontario, um, I don't think provincial law even allows the the, the province to like hand that data over to the federal government. Um, I am not a lawyer, but like 
<laughs> health information privacy laws do exist and they do bind uh, the government of Ontario too. Um, this was always going to be something where the provinces needed to lead the way. And until last week, uh, Premier Ford didn't want to. You say you're not a lawyer, but I think the follow-up line is supposed to be, I just play one on a podcast. Because that's, I think, what you're doing right now. And that's okay. I'm happy to take my legal advice from you. You sure sound like you know what you're talking about. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, don't <laughs> kill people. <laughs> that's my legal advice. Yes. That's, that's great advice. See? There, there you go. Um, let's, let's pick up on what really was a very surprising story that emerged at the end of last week. And that was that on the same day... At that news conference where Ford was blaming Trudeau for calling the early election, there was new modeling from Ontario's COVID-19 science advisory table. And usually when they do this, you know, we got a big news conference and reporters can ask questions and Staney Brown's out there and, you know, the whole nine yards. We got a good technical briefing. None of that happened this time. They posted it quietly late in the day, period, full stop. Any idea why? The person at the science table that I spoke with acknowledged that this isn't, you know, the best way to release information like this. Um, I know that a lot of reporters uh, who read it, uh, you know, in the, the hours after it was released were frankly very confused about like what the modeling was actually saying. You know, uh, there's a, a huge range of possible outcomes and some of them are very alarming, but they may not be the most likely uh, outcomes. Uh, the The... Again, the person I was speaking to at the science table said this was uh, an unfortunate case of scientists uh, checking and double-checking each other's work until it got too late in the day to hold a press conference. Um, I guess we might as well mention that there has also been some controversy about, uh, you know, Dr. David Fisman of the University of Toronto has alleged that the science table uh, was withholding uh, alarming modeling from the public. Uh, I'm mentioning that just purely for context, the science table has flatly rejected the accusation and, and Dr. Fisman is, uh, has resigned from the science table. Um, one member of the science table, uh, U of T's Dr. Beata Sander, uh, did put out a, a helpful Twitter thread the next day, which is, I mean, not a substitute for a good press conference, but it did help explain what the modeling says and what it means. So what does it say and what does it mean? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, it's it's a bit much to summarize in uh, a podcast, but I will say uh, I think a fair summary is that things still have the potential to be very bad this fall, uh, but that there are some relatively straightforward ways for us to limit our risks. Uh, that includes, you know, increasing vaccinations and reducing the amount of uh, social contacts that we make Um you know, the Labor Day long weekend and the return of children to school, these are very, very likely to drive uh, new case numbers higher and hospitalizations with them. Uh, but Sanders says that, you know, a fall lockdown is not inevitable. Uh, people need to, uh, you know, reduce their social contacts, not like a ton. We don't all have to live like hermits again. Uh, but, you know, we are currently having about as 85% as many social contacts as we did pre-pandemic. Uh, if we can get that down to 70%, we will be in a much, much better place. Um, and this is, you know, just to remind people, you know, all about allowing businesses to stay open as much as possible while also preserving hospital capacity and I say this uh, like you as a parent of a, a child, uh, trying to avoid school shutdowns. Amen to that. Um, okay, what's the f sort of feedback or response been to all of this? Uh, 
Well, as I mentioned, you know, there were a, a lot of reporters who were uh, both confused by the um, uh, style of presentation and also by uh, what the actual information said. Um, I, I, I think the most important thing, uh, at least for our purposes, you know, talking about provincial politics, is uh, that uh, I, I think the modeling ha is at least partly responsible for uh, the government's turnaround on vaccine passports. Uh, I know, quite frankly, that there's a lot of skepticism of the modeling uh, within the Conservative caucus. Uh, they certainly don't believe that the, the worst case scenarios are the most likely ones going forward. Uh, but you know, nobody wants a repeat of what we saw in the spring where we had nearly a thousand people in the ICU beds and uh, the hospital system was in crisis. No question about that. All right, let's do one final word here, JMM, and we're going to look to the federal campaign uh, as we close off here. We've got two leaders debates coming up later this week. But last Thursday night, there was a French language debate on TVA, the very popular and important uh, television network in Quebec. Trudeau, O'Toole, Singh, Blanchet, uh, the first three in their second languages, although for Trudeau, English and French are like 1A and 1B for him. Uh, it was a solid debate, and uh, I only point this out because that's three leaders, all of whom were raised in Ontario, all of whom performed quite well in a French debate. Uh, I guess if you look around the world, there are probably not that many uh, prime ministers, presidents, or would-be prime ministers or would-be presidents who could manage to do election-style debates in two different languages. So, okay, good for them. And here's a little trivia question to finish us off here. Two of those three leaders who participated in that debate were born in Ontario, and one was born in Quebec. Of those three leaders I mentioned, Trudeau, O'Toole, and Singh, two born in Ontario, one born in Quebec. Which one was born in Quebec? Okay, so I am going to admit that I cheated and I Googled, but I did the process of elimination first. <laughs> uh, because, of course, uh, Justin Trudeau was born in Ontario, who's uh, born to 22 Sussex, or at least raised there. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's born in Ottawa. Yes. Jagmeet Singh was born in Toronto, I believe at Scarborough. And so that leaves Aaron O'Toole. That's right. And I think everybody I've asked this question to assumes that Justin Trudeau was born in Quebec. But in fact, Aaron O'Toole was born in Montreal, Quebec. And during the course of the debate, he said en français how happy he was to be back in the city of his birth. So there you go. We always conclude this podcast with our favorite quotes of the week. But first, we'd like you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked and what you didn't. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Here now, my quote of the week. And we're going to go back to last September 1st, Doug Ford explaining why he changed his mind on the vaccine passport issue. We have two options here. We either do this or we risk shutting down the economy, which would even be worse having our hospital capacity maxed out and, and at the brink, having our kids stay at home, our colleges and university kids going back online. That's what we're trying to avoid. And I'm taking the advice of the chief medical officer, as I always have, and we're moving forward when we found out that the federal government could not implement this like every other country and every other leader in the world is doing this. Doug Ford, last week, taking a poke at the Prime Minister for not bringing in a federal vaccine passport program, even though, as we've discussed, it's pretty clear this is a provincial responsibility and the provinces have all the patient information, but hey, the truce is over. Uh, and here's my quote of the week. This is from Green Party leader Annamie Paul, who was speaking in Toronto on Thursday. And um, uh, there's no other way to say this. She made a bit of a gaffe as she was answering a question from reporters. 
Uh, but I'll tell the people of Canada that if you want a real plan, one that is going to grow our economy, that is going to put us at the front of the uh, competitive green economy of the future, help us to join the green rush, then the only option in this election for you is the Liberals. And you can count on us to work cooperatively and collaboratively with every party on that. But right now, uh, we're the only ones with a plan uh, that will make a difference and that will help us limit our greenhouse gas emissions. That was Green Party leader Annamie Paul, uh, who later corrected her record, uh, says uh, that she is, of course, endorsing the Green Party uh, and that she had done too many press conferences without grabbing lunch first. Uh, I personally will just say that I'm very grateful I get to do podcasts where my errors can all be edited out. Uh, At least that is until the day that Matthew (laughs) decides he's had enough of me and releases the blooper reel to the web. And that we are going to tweet from here around the world and back. We can't wait to hear that one. No, maybe we should wait to hear that one because I'm probably on it too. Uh, this week's episode of the On Poly Podcast was produced by Katie O'Connor, edited by the aforementioned Matthew O'Mara. Production support from Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell. JMM, hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. As my dad likes to say, stay positive, test negative. Stay safe, Steve. <laughs> <laughs>